Joining us today here on the Dialogos Radio for the Dialogos interview series is one of our regular and most prominent guests, investigative reporter and best-selling author Greg Palast, who is the author of books such as Vulture's Picnic, Armed Madhouse, and The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, among others. Greg, thanks for joining us once again. You're very welcome, Michael. Let's get right to the heart of the issue. There's many people both inside and outside of Greece who have placed their hopes for the end of austerity with Syriza, and Syriza is often described as a radical left-wing party. Yet the party's official platform, even despite its promises for ending austerity and rolling back a lot of the measures that have been enforced, eliminates even the consideration of a Greek exit from the Eurozone. What do you make of these proposals? Well, Syriza is, of course, the main voice against the madness of austerity, and that's made them popular. And that also, from the point of view of my fellow economists, I'm an economist by training. Uh, from you know, 90% of economists think that austerity is religion, not economics. You don't cut your budgets in the middle of a depression, which is what you have. So, I mean, they're, they're talking reason. The problem is, is that there is a consensus among the Greek elite and the European elite, and the world financial elite, that the sky will fall if uh, the Greek uh, people leave the euro. If Greece exits from the euro, the Grexit, as they're calling it, you know, that's doom and gloom. And so, therefore, Syriza is picking up the same language uh, that, you know, oh, we're not going to leave the euro, don't worry, because we, we can end austerity, we can tell the Germans to back off, the Troika to back off, and, you know, they'll understand that, that austerity is, is self-defeating, and uh, but we're not going to leave the euro if they don't agree, or they're not going to kick us out. And that, of course, is Fantasy Island, because what, to me, series of misunderstands is that... The euro is the disease. It is not the solution. It's not the cure. In other words, it, they, they want to do two things. They want, it's Syriza wants to do the impossible, which is to get rid of the austerity that comes with the euro and yet keep the euro. They want to cure themselves of leprosy, but they don't want to leave the leper colony. And that's impossible. Greg, let's talk for a bit about the history of the euro. You've mentioned in past interviews and articles that you knew the founder of the euro, economist Robert Mundell. Tell us about the economic worldview of Mundell and what his goals were in giving birth to the idea of the European common currency. Mundell, who taught at Columbia University, he's still alive, he's still teaching, by the way, won the Nobel Prize for his writings on currency. And what's interesting, by the way, is that he won the Nobel Prize for the theory of optimum currency areas. And he had a theory that nations should join currency when they have similar economies. Therefore, you know, agricultural economies should have a joint currency. He thought the U.S. and Canada should have two different currencies east-west, not Canadian-American, but uh, the Western U.S. should have one currency with Canada and the Eastern Canada and Eastern U.S. should have one currency. In other words, he believed that a combination like putting Germany in the same currency zone as France and Spain would be ridiculous. That's a violation of his, of his core theory for which he won the Nobel Prize. Why is this important? This is the very same guy who, who is the inventor, you could say, of the euro which he called the Europa, that there should be one single currency for all of Europe. Damn 
the optimum currency theory. Now, why would someone suggest a currency which is exactly the opposite of everything he's ever taught? So I spoke to him about this because he was a friend of my professor, Milton Friedman, the the kind of god of the free market uh, economics school, monetarism. So I spoke with Mundell at length about why the Europa, as he called it, why the euro? And he said it has nothing to do with creating a good currency. It has everything to do with changing the politics of Europe. He was very, very right wing. He is the creator of another economic theory, which wouldn't get him the Nobel Prize. In fact, is called voodoo economics, supply side economics. That is, the more you cut taxes, the more tax revenue you get. The more deregulation of business you get, the better your economy and the less risk. In other words, he actually believes if you deregulated the banks, there'd be less risk in the banking system. All of those supply side theories, which we call Thatcher economics, Reaganomics, uh, after Ronald Reagan, deregulatory mania. It's all been discredited. It's all called voodoo economics these days. And yet, that's what the euro is. It's an instrument of voodoo economics. Because what he said is, the euro, and this is important, Michael, by having one currency for Europe, and with it, a rule. Remember, with the euro comes the rule that you cannot have more than a 3% deficit or 60% of debt compared to your gross domestic product. Now, you very, very almost no deficits. That means that no nation, because you don't have your own currency, has any control over monetary policy. Your nation has no control over fiscal policy. Your nation has no control over your currency exchange rates. Basically, you lose complete control of your financial system. And he said it, it gets rid of the meddling of parliaments and congresses and governments to fool around with fiscal and economic policy. What he meant is that democracy gets in the way of good economics. So what happens when you get rid of democracy? He says you only, that leaves government only the choice. The only choice when there's a crisis, as we have now in, in the euro, when there is a crisis, governments will eliminate labor union power, will eliminate government regulation, will privatize its uh, industries, power companies and water companies because they'll need to pay off their debts. And basically, the power of government and labor unions, the working class, those powers will be eliminated and uh, wages will fall. In order to maintain employment, governments will allow wages to fall and regulations to die. In other words, this crisis in Mundell's terms, is what he had planned and what the creators of the euro had planned. Crisis is part of the euro plan, a crisis which would cause a realignment between business and labor in Europe, and that the welfare state of Europe would be destroyed, and that's exactly what has happened. This is not what you're seeing now with the collapse of the southern European economies, including Greece and Spain and Portugal. What's happening here was part of the Euro plan. This was not a mistake. This was not a, something that they try to avoid. It is what they wanted to happen, a crisis which would cause a realignment of political power and the end of the European welfare state. By the way, the end of the European welfare state caused by crisis is a quote from Mundell. That's exactly what he told me, and I have it on tape. 
We are speaking with investigative journalist and best-selling author Greg Pallast here on the Alagos Radio and in the Alagos interview series. And Greg, returning to the situation at hand, specifically in Greece, we've heard a series of contradictory statements recently from German and European Union officials regarding whether a country can even depart from the Eurozone or not. What is applicable, if you're aware, legally, in terms of a member state departing from the Eurozone? And does a country like Greece even need to worry about what official policy might be on this issue? Well, the great irony is that it may actually be impossible for Greece to stay in the Eurozone without there being a massive change in rules. You can't have more than a 3% deficit to stay in the Eurozone. And that's impossible because for Greece because no nation in depression can or should or should avoid a deficit in government spending. The United States to recover from our great recession borrowed 9, 10, 11% of gross domestic product. We um, flooded our economy with $4 trillion in cash through our central bank. And we had over a trillion dollars in, way over a trillion dollars in deficits in, uh, in a year and a half. And uh, it was massive, massive. And that's how the United States got out of this deficit. China went into a massive fiscal deficit and a massive release of funds from its central bank into its system. It's the only way to survive. Now, if Greece doesn't do this, if Greece strict sticks to this current business of having a functional surplus, you will continue to see the destruction of your economy because people have no money. You take away people's pensions, they can't spend, and your economy goes down. And ironically, so do your tax receipts. And once your tax receipts, so you can never catch up. You can never maintain that small deficit, and you can never maintain the limit on debt. So you might be kicked out anyway, unless they change the rules. That's number one. So that you might just be kicked out anyway. Number two, the sky doesn't fall if you're not in the euro. Greece had the drachma for a long time. That was good enough for Plato. It will be good enough for you and your grandchildren. There, how does one go about it? The answer is you issue your own currency again. You reissue the drachma. You declare it legal tender, that is a, the legal currency of the nation, and of which is good to pay all debts, and you pay off all the bonds with the drachma that you print. And yes, you will have lawsuits and you'll have screaming and hollering, but the truth is at this point, the European governments and central banks own over 90% of Greece's public uh, sovereign debt. And therefore, you don't have a lot of private individuals. You're going to have to bargain with everyone. But you will be now back in charge of your own fate. Argentina did this in 2001 where they were attached to the U.S. dollar. And they unlinked from the U.S. dollar. They refused to pay their international debts. And that's when the bargaining began. And when the bargaining was over... Argentina didn't have to pay back its debts at first. It recovered so substantially that it ended up paying up $165 billion to debt holders. And, and until recently, they were all quite thrilled and happy. Argentina's economy zoomed after it told the IMF and the uh, U.S. Treasury and the bankers to go to hell, that they were going to use their own currency and not pay those dollar debts. Greg, some of our listeners have asked, do we see another country that's been doing well economically, Ecuador, and they actually use the U.S. dollar? What is different about the case of Ecuador, if anything? Well, in the case of Ecuador, 
because they had runaway inflation. The public is afraid to leave the dollar. But their president, whom I know well, who is an economist, Rafael Correa, Correa just said, "Okay, we're going to keep the dollar, but we will uh, we're not going to pay the debts to these vultures who are charging us usurious interest, terribly high interest. We're just not going to pay it. And uh, he did something interesting because he said he wasn't going to pay the debts. The debts were worth next became close to worthless, just as Greek debt was selling at 30 cents on the uh, on the euro, 30 percent of their face value. So his statements knocked down the price of Ecuador's bonds. And then quietly and secretly, his central bank bought up those bonds at a discount. So in other words, they knocked down that. So he really learned how to play the system. But he's an economist and a fearless, fearless guy. And he was not afraid of the threats of the other governments. Now, of course, you could say, well, Ecuador has oil. Greece has natural gas. Greece has a lot of resources. And as long as in, as you don't end up privatizing and selling off your resources because of the crisis, you have the resources to survive without any special help from uh, Europe. Greg, you mentioned, of course, the dollarization that took place in Argentina. What was the impact of this on the Argentine economy before they broke the peg with the dollar? Well, Argentina, just like Greece and Spain today, had no control over its own fiscal policy. It had no control over its exchange rate because it had set it to the dollar. It could not print money. It could not because it had to maintain a, a certain ratio with the dollar. So it had no control over its economy. And as a result, the economy collapsed because the government could not react to a fall in commodity prices, the fall of copper crises are very valuable to, to those who want to seize control of your, con of your country. So when Argentina had a crisis in, in, uh, because the value of copper fell, they ended up having to sell off everything. They sold off their oil company to Spain. They sold off the Buenos Aires water company to Enron. Teachers were, were you know, hunting gar the streets and you know, eating out of garbage cans. There was starvation all over Argentina, which is an agricultural giant, and people were starving. And the IMF told them austerity, cut your pensions, cut your government payrolls, privatize everything. And the austerity plans just led to further devastation because if people lose their jobs in government, if teachers lose their jobs, if policemen lose their pensions, if port workers lose their, uh, their jobs and their security, then there's no one to buy things and, and your economy continues to fall. So Argentina went through the same thing Greece is going through, except they said we've had enough and they, and they got out of the dollar trap. They got out of the debt trap by saying we're not paying and reorganizing that debt. And then since then, they, their economy has just been stellar, just booming. We are on the air with investigative journalist and best-selling author Greg Pallast here on the Galagos Radio and the Galagos Interview Series. And Greg, some issues that are often brought up when people discuss what they perceive as the so-called dangers of a Eurozone departure for Greece or a unilateral write-off or write-down of Greece's debt include the risk of capital flight, the possibility that the new currency would be worthless, that Greece would not be able to import anything, that Greek bonds, as you mentioned a few moments ago, are now held by official bondholders, other governments and the European Central Bank. To what extent, however, are any of these dangers actually legitimate? I can tell you that because they've created such a scare 
the European community and most of your Europe and most of your Greek leaders have created a scare about the euro, it becomes self-creating, at least temporarily. You are going to go through six months to a year of a very rough time as some people panic and move their money out of Greece. Uh, some companies refuse to operate in Greece or sell you things. But that will switch very quickly. One thing you're very lucky about in Greece is that you have a tourism, that tourism industry is your central source of foreign currency. And as you know, uh, there's a nation right near you which got very lucky because they weren't allowed into the Eurozone. That's Turkey. And because of the lira, Turkey went from being having only half of your tourism and now you only have half of Turkey's tourism because it's very cheap to vacation in Turkey. So their economy boomed as they took away your tourists. Now you will be able to take away Turkey's tourists because you'll have your own currency. And to the extent that there's a flight of some of, uh, some capital holders and some money will leave, that will be replaced as people say, hey, this is a cheap place to vacation. And when remember, if they start, if, if you have uh, guys who are trying to get their money out by selling industries, you're going to find a lot of people say, I think I'll buy that because they saw what happened in Argentina. They saw what happened in Brazil. They saw what happened in the nations that said no to the austerity diktats. They, they saw what happened to the nations that said no to the debts to the IMF and the central banks. And anyone who, who invested in those nations, like Argentina, Brazil, or Ecuador, made an awful lot of money. And so given that experience, you're going to see a lot of investors who are going to say, we're not going to miss another opportunity. If people are leaving Greece, we're coming in. You are going to see a huge flood of investment after a couple months of panic. Now, Greg, you've done a bit of investigation as well into the role of Goldman Sachs in this whole mess, and particularly the way in which Goldman Sachs helped Greece and apparently some other countries as well essentially cheat their way into the euro. How did this occur? Yes, every nation, including Germany, is cheating on the rules of the euro. You know, Germany does not have a 3% deficit. Germany does not limit itself to a debt of 60% of their annual economic activity. Germany cheats. Everyone everyone in the eurozone is cheating. But when you're, when Greece was trying to get into the euro and to stay into the euro, to pretend that it uh, you had only a 3% deficit, the government hired Goldman Sachs at a fee of nearly half a billion dollars to create a set of phony transactions fake transactions, which were currency swaps between the euros held by your government and the Japanese yen. There are also some other transactions, but that's basically what was involved. It's a bunch of fake transactions to make it look as if your government had somehow earned won billions of dollars speculating in the currency markets. It was phony because the government never made that money. Supposedly, Goldman Sachs lost that money, but Goldman Sachs doesn't cut deals where it loses money. In fact, it, it did quite well. What it was was the, the deficit was in all this flim-flam. The real deficit was hidden. Yeah, and Goldman did this for a couple of other countries. And I know JP Morgan set up a similar deal for Spain. But Greece was the worst. And when Papandreou got into office... He said, oh, my God, we have a big deficit. I think that he knew all along about the flim flam, but but he thought it was economically or politically right to suddenly say, oh, my gosh, we actually have a bigger deficit than we publicly acknowledged. 
And uh, once it became quite public that the deficit was was much bigger, that and in fact, it was a lie, the amount of debt owed by Greece, and that these are all fake transactions. At that point, anyone lending money to Greece, of course, is going to demand a huge premium saying, you guys have been committing fraud. You're all liars and you're in worse financial condition than you knew. And so you ended up with bankers demanding 15, 16% interest, which because you've got the euro, you have to pay in basically a foreign currency, in Germany's currency, to pay off these huge high interest debts. So Goldman Sachs, with, but remember, they were hired by your government. They didn't just like sneak in the back door. They were brought in by two governments of the two different parties and, and defrauded the public, but with in coordination with your own leaders. Now, with all the economic developments that have been unfolding in Europe, as well as the recent terrorist incidents, one issue that has been largely shielded from public scrutiny is the proposed Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, or TTIP, which is essentially proposing to create a largely unregulated free trade zone between the European Union and the United States. If you can, what would such an agreement mean, especially when looking at similar agreements and treaties such as NAFTA or TRIPS or the Trans? specific partnership? Well, your biggest problem for Greece is that, look, Greece has no problem selling olives to Americans or inviting American tourists in. You don't need a free trade agreement to trade goods. This is about an agreement to trade bads. What I mean by that is that once you open yourself up to this agreement, then once again, you are now, you are prohibited from barring all kinds of financial uh, operations, which are quite dangerous. In other words, that you can't restrict currency derivatives trading. You can't restrict credit default swaps. You can't restrict banks moving money in and out freely. So, by the way, if you you know to avoid capital flight, Brazil and Argentina actually instituted capital controls, saying if you remove your money, you've committed a crime. I mean, that's one way to keep the money in the country when you get out of uh, the euro is to say you can't take your money out. It's illegal. Most of the world, by the way, had rules against removing moving your money across borders without a good reason uh, until Ronald Reagan in the 1980s came along. So, you know, I mean, what this does is it doesn't create free trade in goods that you already have in Greece between Greece and the United States. It is an agreement to create a trade in bads, things you don't want, toxic assets. And let me tell you, Brazil survived. Brazil survived the great 2007-2010 crisis, in part because Lula, the left-wing president of Brazil, said no to privatization, no to elimination of the state banks, and most important, no, he was the only member, Brazil is the only member of the World Trade Organization which refused to sign uh, the financial services agreement saying that international banks could operate in Brazil. He said no way. You can't sell your toxic assets, your derivatives. You can't play games with our currency. We are not allowing it. And he absolutely refused. And it's one of the reasons why Brazil did so well during the crisis. Now, Greg, before we wrap up, if you had the opportunity to speak with uh, the new prime minister of Greece, Alexis Tsipras, or if he happened to be listening right now to our interview, what advice would you give him? Don't lie. Don't tell the people that you can tell the Germans no, we're not going to accept austerity and more unemployment and more cuts to pensions and pay and government services and stay in the euro. That's a lie. If you want to use Germany's currency, 
you are under the control of Germany's finance minister. So make a decision. Do you want to be in the euro or do you want to save Greece? And at this point, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I'm going to eliminate the disease of austerity and still remain, you know, I don't want the leprosy, but I want to stay in the leper colony. You can't stay in the eurozone. And you have to be honest about it because you will not be able to tell Europe or uh, Finance Minister Schauble of, of Germany, who is running your country's finances right now, you're not going to be able to tell him to go to hell. But yes, we want your currency. Well, Greg, thank you very much once again for taking the time to speak with us today here on the Alagos Radio and the Alagos Interview Series. And thank you very much for sharing with us all of your insights. Thank you very much.